welcome to the Wealthy Homes Podcast, where we help young Michigan families manage their finances and create wealth. I'm your host, Connor Bowserman, financial advisor with Preferred Financial Group. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Homes Podcast. We have another great guest on today and our first returning guest who is not PFG related. And actually, you probably don't know this, but it was 40 episodes exactly ago that you were on the podcast. So oh. we're welcoming back Kyle McGann, one of my childhood best friends, still a great friend to this day in the financial services industry as well. And man, I'm just happy to have you back. I'm super excited. The first one we did was hundreds of miles apart because I was down in Atlanta, you were up in Michigan, and now we're in the same studio using these awesome mics. I'm excited. This is yeah, great. Thank you for cool. having me back. Yeah, no problem, dude. So last time we talked, you were not a father yet. Correct. You were, How true. Kara was pregnant. Yep. So now you're a father. Mm-hmm. Things are a lot different. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Now I have a almost seven-month-old. So it's awesome. The first two months were wild, just that transition into being a dad and not sleeping and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, after that point, and especially now, six months is, is the greatest. So being a dad's the coolest. I remember Kara and I were kind of telling our friends right off the bat, like, hey, if you're not totally serious about having a kid, like maybe check yourself before mm-hmm. you do it. And now we're like, no, everybody needs to have a bunch of kids. So <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. But Every single person needs 10 kids. <laughs> No, No, but it is great. It's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think people do have to be somewhat ready, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people think that they need to be like a hundred percent ready, and that's not the case. Exactly. Um, Yeah, just it takes time and and energy, and as long as you have a, I think the big thing is having a good spouse or a good partner to be able to to raise kids because it does take two. It is unbelievable the amount of testing that you go through as a couple because you, you you do have to be great partners. If you can't handle kind of a 4 a.m., you're both exhausted and irritable and you can kind of yep. solve some problems at that point, then you can make it. <laughs> well, I think it was funny because you're kind of in the same boat as a lot of people have dogs before they have kids. And yep. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm ready. I've got responsibilities. And it's like, no, dude, it's a whole different ballgame right. when you have kids. Just the responsibility of bathing them, feeding them, keeping them clean. Figure out why them, they're crying. Like, yeah, figure out yeah. why they're crying. <laughs> yeah. Going through the checklist, yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. It's been great, yeah. It's really been a, a nice experience, and I don't know when we're going to have number two, but it'll be there eventually. We'll be catching you. All right. Yeah. Well, I think we're done, so hopefully All right. Um, you'll catch us soon. Yeah. Maybe we'll have <laughs> See, it's funny. When, when Kara was first pregnant, I kind of had my fingers crossed that we'd have twins. In hindsight, I'm glad we didn't start with twins, but may, who knows? Maybe next time yeah. we'll, be, we'll be catching you quicker than we know. That'd be cool. <laughs> That'd be cool. I'll look forward to it. So for those who don't know you from 40 episodes ago, mm-hmm. kind of give them a little rundown of who you are and what you do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. So like Connor said, I'm Kyle McGann and I'm from Battle Creek, Michigan. Graduated with Connor a year before him. And then I went to Michigan State to get my bachelor's degree in science actually it was in kinesiology thought i was going the medical route got out of college realized that was not my forte so i ended up having a friend that was working at united wholesale mortgage in detroit and or pontiac specifically and i asked him if that would be a good position for me and he said yeah so he was able to help me get in the door there and i became an underwriter which is where i met my wife kara also becoming an underwriter. So mortgage is definitely in our family. I worked there for a 
about 18 months or so. And then my wife and I moved down to Atlanta where for a short stint, I worked through small business lending, but outside of the realm of mortgages. And then once COVID hit, I wanted to take that time to get back into mortgages. And so I jumped back in with my current company, which is Supreme Lending down in Atlanta. And there I was also an underwriter for, I think, about two years where I ended up becoming a team lead of underwriting and then decided to transition again, still within the company, but now I'm on the sales side. So I am a loan officer using all the tools and everything that I know from underwriting and applying it to the front end and having a good time doing it. That's cool. That's cool. So so from like a mortgage standpoint, I know you, you deal a lot with all different age ranges mm-hmm. between old, young, middle-aged, probably more in the middle age is usually probably the typical home buyer age yep. um, from what I've seen, at least from statistics anyway. I guess what would be some tools that somebody could use, especially in kind of a, a rate environment where it could be jumping quite a bit like we've seen over the last call it a couple years, mm-hmm. that last five years, kind of what are some tools that they could use to either lower their payment, lower their mortgage rate, some things like that? Yeah. Great question. The first thing I would say that I like to tell people is kind of get comfortable with the idea of a refinance. If you look at our parents' generation and people that bought in the eighties and early nineties, a lot of those folks were getting homes with 15, 11, 9% interest rates. And then as the interest rates went down through the years, they'd refinance and capitalize on that lower interest rate and lower monthly payment. So that is going to be something that repeats itself as interest rates are currently, they're expected and forecasted to be coming down. So capitalizing on purchasing a house now because you can afford it and it fits your budget and that sort of thing. And then being comfortable with the idea of refinancing soon, but also if things change and it becomes a benefit to you later down the road. So that's the first thing I like to tell people, but also ways that you can prepare now to get the best interest rate and everything is credit is is really a big one. Credit is king, as we like to say, and it dictates what interest rate you're going to get and the closing costs. So really coming to a loan officer upfront with plenty of time, six, 12 months before you plan to buy, is, is a good piece of advice because they can pull your credit, see where you stand. You don't have to trust Credit Karma. You don't have to trust mm-hmm. your credit card statement. And you can get a real idea of where you stand and they can help you find, sort of build a plan to, okay. to build your credit. And it can be very simple and easy to accidentally drop your score. Right. So that those are the two biggest tools that I would say. And then some little stuff is there are specific programs within mortgages where you can do temporary rate buy-downs. Right now, adjustable rate mortgages are not hot, but they will probably come back at some point. So just knowing what your options are is always, always going to help you. Okay. Do people use the hybrid arms very often? They do. Well, they did. So not lately because, and to be honest, I don't know the formal like macroeconomic reason, but ultimately long-term loans have the best interest rate. So any short-term adjustable hybrid or or traditional adjustable rate, it can be better, but so slightly that it doesn't necessarily offset any of the the risks for it. Whereas it used to be, you'd get a percent and a half lower interest rate or two or whatever it might be. Now you might get an eighth of a percent, quarter percent, and it's still, like you said, the risk. So they're not as popular right now. Yeah. Yeah. I just was curious just for the younger generation that if they're buying their starter home, that they probably are only going to be in for five, seven years, that 
potentially those hybrids could work out where they get a lower interest rate for the time being could potentially refinance mm-hmm. if rates still come down and then you could refinance to a 30 or 20 or 15 yep but yeah i mean that was what i did i know it's not ideal for most people but i knew especially with the house that i was purchasing it was definitely a starter home there was no way that we could yeah. raise a family there or at least a big family so for me, I knew I was going to be out of the house at that point in time. But yeah, it did ask some some risk, especially if looking to potentially do some kind of an Airbnb or rental. Right. Like there was no way that I could have kept that. That would have went through the roof, I think, especially sure. more lately. Yeah, exactly. And you bring up a good point, which is knowing what your plan is. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know what they're going to be doing in three months, six months, let alone five years, like, right. like you had been planning. And so another thing to that point is, a lot of first-time homebuyers stay in for three, five, seven years, and then they're on to their next house. So it's important when you're getting a mortgage, whether it's right now in the current interest rate market or in the future, regardless of what rates are, to consider what we call a break-even point analysis, which is if you're considering reducing your interest rate and paying discount points to do so, you need to make sure that you see that uh, those discount points are a cost that you pay up front to reduce your permanent interest rate. So I'll give an example with some rough numbers. If you have, if you pay $10,000 up front to reduce your interest rate and reducing your interest rate saves you $50 per month, then that would be 200 months to break to 10,000. Yeah, it's quite a while. So you want to make sure that you're considering the time frame in which you're planning on either refinancing or, hey, I know I'm only going to be in this city for a few years because of work or I'm going to have family or what, whatever it might be. And you don't shoot yourself in the foot and invest a bunch to get a lower monthly payment. And then, well, look at that. It didn't pay off. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know when I, I actually bought some points down on my first mortgage, but it was, I think like $800 more or something mm-hmm. to buy it down. And I think I did the break even. It was like a year and a half. Right. So I was yeah, like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Heck like, yeah. But yeah, having something out that would be potentially years before right. you see like a, a break even would be kind of tough yeah, to, to make that decision. A lot of first time home buyers have an uncle or a friend or something that has an interest rate that's way below what the current market rate might be. And their sole focus is getting the lowest rate possible. So that's when it's like, okay, we'll step back and let's weigh really what you, what we're talking about with that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, when, when we got our first or our house, we paid some discount points in hindsight, since we have a COVID rate, we wish we would have paid all the discount points, right. brought it all the way down to what, half a percent or something <laughs> and then stuck with that for 30 years. But um, we're happy where we are. So yeah, yeah that worked yeah, out. For sure. So one thing I wanted to ask you, just because being in financial services, we probably see something similar when it comes to people's financial lives and what they have as a accumulated and how they spend their money. Mm-hmm. But as an advisor, you you have some clients that want to tell you everything and show you everything because they want you to help them with everything. Where we have some clients that say, these are my retirement accounts and this is basically where I want you to stay. I want you to stay in this realm. Don't tell me how to spend my personal checking. Mm-hmm. Where with you you get everything, you know, (laughs) down to what they spent the last 90 days, what their paycheck looks like, the retirement accounts they have. So I want to kind of dive into that because I'm sure you've seen some correlation between what people are doing financially that's setting setting them apart on a good path and a bad path. Yes. Yes. So I kind of want to, we'll start with the good path. Love it. So 
going through people's finances, whether they're young, old, what are some correlations that you've seen that you're like, man, these are the couple of things that I feel like are really helping people get ahead? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I'll tell you the list of things to do right is a lot more simple and, and straightforward. And there's a lot more things that I've seen people do wrong. But starting with kind of the successful path is there's two big strong correlations. One is when I pull their credit report, there are not that many debts on their credit report. And so typically people have maybe student loans, maybe a car loan, and then one, two, three credit cards is really the sweet spot. Okay. So you can definitely overdo it with the credit cards, but even even if you have a reasonable amount of cards, you can still overdo it with the credit utilization, the amount of your your total credit limit that you're using. And so the successful individuals that I see, regardless of what their credit limit is, their credit card balances are five, ten percent of that limit, and they keep it there. Mm-hmm. And also, they don't have a, a ton of credit cards, and then they have a car payment that is within their budget. Whether it's expensive or cheap, it fits with their monthly income. Gotcha. So keeping it tight and compact on the credit side is super beneficial because it is easier to control from a personal finance perspective. Mm-hmm. And then also, that is what benefits your credit the most, is using some credit, not overdoing it, but still using a healthy amount. So on the credit side, it's kind of the KISS mentality. Just keep it simple. Um, And then on the actual, when I see people's bank statements, which uh, is fairly fun. I'll tell you, (laughs) after you've seen a thousand of them, you don't really care so much, but it is fun to dive into it a little bit. But I mean, really, when I pull somebody's checking account and I see that they go out to eat every night, I see that they have subscriptions to every single possible thing. I see that there's Amazon, there's all these different, they're clearly shopping a lot. That is directly proportional with their household budget. And and I'm not saying you can't go out to eat. I'm not saying that you can't mm-hmm. go shopping and that sort of thing. But when I'm comparing that to the paycheck that I also have of them and I can see, okay, well, this is why you only have 2500 bucks saved or whatever it might right. be when you're trying to buy X. That is really the, I don't want to say deciding factor by any means, but that is a big impact that successful people also have a very clean checking account where mm-hmm. they're not constantly yeah. buying everything and and yeah. so yeah those are the two really really big things okay i figured those would be pretty similar one other one that i wanted to see if was it the overall mortgage like usually you, you want to see below 28 percent or 30 percent of your overall household income mm-hmm. do you see that the people that have a significantly lower payment whether that's for their mortgage or for rent that they have just more room in their budget yes and it's, it's honestly refreshing because I'll tell you the majority, the vast majority of people I work with are trying to push the envelope as much as possible and get the highest price home that they can for the amount mm-hmm. of income that they make. So then when you get somebody that's very well qualified, you can tell when they come in and they, even if they can afford a million dollar house, they say, I'm going to, I'm getting a 400,000 or $300,000 house. No ifs, ands, or buts. If mm-hmm. it's not the house that I want, it doesn't, I'm going to go find the one that works right. for me because they, they take the emotional side out of it, which isn't all, I mean, I'm, and that's not a recommendation mm-hmm. because buying a house is so emotional and you should right. find the one that you love and feel attached to, but you also don't want to go down the opposite road where you, you discard mm-hmm. your budget and all that stuff and just go for the one that you want. Yeah. Yeah. I think like there's like this, especially in our generation, kind of the millennial generation where it's like, I want 
what you see your parents and your family have. And you got to step back and realize they built that over 30 some years of, yeah. of a working career and life. And so you don't always get your forever home right away. Right. Even on your second, third home, it might not even be your forever home. Right. So I think like a lot of people want to step up and go, okay, I'm going for my forever home. And it's like, holy smokes, you just bit off a lot of, of, of monthly income to be able to try and keep that house yeah. or have that house. Yeah, so. absolutely. And it's it's owning a home is the largest or the best generator for generational wealth and for just building your wealth overall. And so using home ownership as a stepping stone, build equity in the first one to buy the next one to buy the next one and so on mm-hmm. is how you get to that dream home. Yeah. It's not a checking account that you don't that you don't go to Wendy's every Wednesday. Like that's not right. how you get to that forever home, you know. When you're talking to people about their I, I guess this is a little bit of a tangent mm-hmm. on what our topic is, but when you're talking to people about their their mortgage rate and whatnot, do you talk to them a little bit about the cost of owning a home along with that? Because a lot of times for lending, I would imagine it's like what twenty eight percent or so is like the max that they could go. But there's a lot of other costs, especially as you being a homeowner, you know that there's other costs to owning a home, and generally those are anywhere between one to two percent to five percent a year of your overall home value. Yeah, and so that can be a pretty significant net in one year. Whether that's you're buying a furnace, you're buying mm-hmm. a roof, you're buying putting a new driveway in, you're putting a new washer, which I just had to do yep. like a couple of weeks ago. Those kind of things come up, and they're not usually planned. They yes. usually just happen. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. I do have those conversations, and and actually, what you said there, I do want to correct. And just to open your eyes as, from the viewer's perspective, is fifty percent of your gross monthly income wow. can go towards just the mortgage alone. So that's gross monthly income. That's before taxes, insurance, four hundred one k, can go towards just. And so that's rare. And that's that's what I mean earlier when I said people want to push the envelope. So it is important to know from that perspective that sometimes if you and I are buying a house together, we're going to be roommates, you don't have the credit or you're not an American citizen or whatever it might be. I'm the only one on the loan. Well, that makes sense. We know we're going to split the mortgage in two and we're going to split it. So then if it pushes my income to the max, that's not necessarily as bad as maybe a single mom who doesn't have anybody to help. But yes, I, I definitely make sure, especially as people start really pressing their budget more, I say, hey, just so you know, Last summer, my air conditioner went out, and that cost us about four thousand, five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a washer, six, seven, eight hundred bucks, easy, right there. Yeah. Over a thousand, easy. And so all those different things come at you, not including your utilities, not including the yeah. Wi-Fi, internet, phone, all yeah. that stuff goes that we don't consider from the lending side, but mm-hmm. certainly needs to be considered from the well, budget and then side. One thing that's come up, and we were even talking to some friends about this is just because home values have appreciated so much, the taxes have gone up oh, because yes. all that. So that increases your monthly payment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change your typical principal and interest. Right. You're talking about the insurance and the, oh. the taxes that go along with it with that increases. And it's, it's the worst. It, it really is. is. It's, it's, it's tough because affordability is at an all time low right now because mm-hmm. everybody, the culprit is always interest rates and house prices are still hanging on from COVID, which for what it's worth, that doesn't appear to be a bubble. That appears to be a consistent house value that's going to continue to increase. But you're right, taxes and homeowners insurance has gone up. It, even in the year or a little bit more of a year that I've been quoting people, just estimating what their insurance and taxes would be on any given property value, it's gone up a good amount. It's not wild for somebody to where I used to a year ago, say your homeowners insurance might be 100 bucks a month to now it's 150 
Right. And that's a big hit to the pocketbook. Mm-hmm. And similar with, with taxes, I used to estimate 1% per, 1% of the home value was your annual taxes. Now I'm estimating 1.25%. And there's some counties, and again, I'm for, I'm in the Atlanta market, but there's some counties down there that it's 1.5% of the market of the value of the property. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that, that hurts. Yeah. So people are shaken by that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I think because people are so hammered on like the, you got this fixed mortgage rate and it's like, it it is fixed in a sense, but Mm -hmm. there's some other variables that can be thrown in there that's going to raise that payment. Yeah. And then you have all the extras that can come onto that too. Exactly. So we'll kind of pivot to the people who didn't do well when it came to their finances. What are some things that kind of came up that you're like, red flag, red flag? Yeah. You know, was it the debt? Was it overspending? What were some things that kind of came up? Yeah. This one I see a lot more often. Unfortunately, there are far more people that kind of have the red flag mentality when it comes to credit and personal finance. But uh, the silver lining is it's oftentimes very correctable in a few months time. So the first thing that I see is correlated to the first one of the successful people. But opposite is I see a lot of credit cards opened. I've seen on the pendulum swinging to the far side. I've seen 25, 28 wow. individual credit cards where every time they went to JCPenney, TJ Maxx, and they said, you want to open a card? They said, absolutely. You'll save 5%. <laughs> yeah. You'll save 5% on your $8 purchase. <laughs> and they're like, yes, I'd like to order two if I can. But they open all of them. And another huge thing to understand about credit cards is utilization percentage is a massive indicator of your credit score. So if you have a $250 limit on a small credit card, no big deal, and I pull your credit and your balance is $200, well, that's a significant percentage of the limit. And so even though that's a small balance, no big deal, that does impact your credit score. Mm -hmm. And so you see a lot of credit cards and you see a lot of high utilization on the credit cards. That's a big one. And then otherwise on credit is, unfortunately, people get sucked into high car payments constantly. They have to have the nicest car. They have to have the best car. They're not going to buy used Mm -hmm. and they're going to do anything and their credit might not be the best. So they're just going to say, whatever, I'll take the 22% interest or I don't even know, but whatever it might be. And now you're sitting on, you make $60,000 a year and you've got a $780 a month car payment. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't hardly get anything in the way of a mortgage when you have a car payment like that. So that is, if you are in the position to buy a car, Make sure it fits your budget. And even yeah. if that means buy a used car, save up for it, finance it, whatever it is, just don't go buy the the Escalade right yeah. now if you can't afford it. Yeah, we ran into a client not too long ago and they bought a very modest sedan. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. And I think their interest rate was 28% or oh, something like that. Dear. And they did a seven-year loan on it. So it's like not no. only are you paying a crazy amount of interest, but you're now doing it the max amount of time <laughs> that you could. And so, yeah, there are thousands of dollars underwater because, of course, when you drive a car off the lot, you're already losing 20%. Right. And then you tack 28% interest rate on it. Like, they're just so underwater. Like, there's no way you could sell it. And then you're just in that boat where some of them will roll it to the next one. Mm -hmm. And that was their case. And, yeah, just sometimes people get suckered into that. And they Mm -hmm. just think, this is just normal. Everybody's doing this. And it's like, no they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> they're super duper not. Well, some people, yeah, that's a great point because people just, and that's where, which I'll touch on later on. And I know that it'll all come back to financial literacy, 
and just having a good knowledge and foundation of personal finance goes a long way mm-hmm. because you realize that getting, even if it's car shopping, not getting the package that has the sunroof and the bucket seats, you're st- everybody sees the same car. It just happens to be $10,000 cheaper right. or, or whatever it yeah. might be. And so back to kind of the, the things that I see that people do mm-hmm. wrong, if you will, that's a red flag is high car payments and then a lot of credit cards and then collection accounts. Even though it's fairly common knowledge now that medical collection accounts do not get factored into your mortgage, they absolutely get factored into your credit score, which then is factored into your mortgage. So a lot of people, one big thing to note on collection accounts is whether your balance on on a collection account is a million dollars or if it's zero dollars, it has the same impact on your credit score. So a lot of people will get ready to go and they say, I know I'm going to get a house and talk to a loan officer soon, so I'm going to pay off all my collection accounts. Well, if they call the collection agency and the collection agency happily takes their money but does not delete the collection account from their credit report, it doesn't benefit their score at all. Mm -hmm. So our rule of thumb is when you're calling the collector to make a payment, ask for the supervisor and say, if I pay this off and satisfy this, will you remove it from my credit score or credit report? And if they say no, then don't. I mean- do whatever yeah. you want to do, but don't right. pay it off. Yeah. Don't feel like benefit. you have to. Exactly. To yes. Thank you. That's the credit side. And then the the two other sides with finances is people just don't have a budget. They don't, they don't even know. It, you would be shocked the amount of times that I say, okay, what do you do? What's your job? They say what their job is. I say, how do you get paid? They say biweekly. And I'm like, okay, do you get, are you hourly? Are you salary? Tell me about how you're like, what your pay is. Mm, I make, I think I get, 1300 bucks a week or something and i'm like okay do you know exactly yeah. what you make and they don't and i'm like well that's a first that's a red flag you yeah. should at least know what money's coming in so that you know how much to should budget we, going yeah. out yeah so that that's a big one is just knowing the budget and you can see pretty clearly with people's bank statements if they have one or not yeah and then savings tells all people unfortunately you see a lot of people that don't contribute to a 401k they don't have much saved. They don't have much in their checking account. And so those three things are all, and I'm not saying you need to have tens and tens of thousands of dollars, but based on your income, you should be able to save some money. Right. Yeah. I think that tells all, if you don't have any money to save, that means you don't probably have anything extra to put towards a mortgage or extra debt. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Okay. So kind of going through like the mortgage industry, and I know for financial services, it's changing every day, but how has technology impacted the mortgage industry and what advancements do you see shaping like the future of home financing? Yeah. Technology is always pushing it. And so one big thing that we all know now is the Zillow, the Redfin, realtor.com and making the home shopping so accessible Mm -hmm. and getting to see everything like that. I think that's going to continually get more and more integrated into our daily lives where it becomes that much easier to see the houses on the market next door and that sort of thing. So that adds a lot of motivation into the home buyer because the person that used to just not see the houses that are available now might be sitting on the couch at their apartment shopping for houses unknowingly just because they Mm -hmm. like cabinets and kitchens and whatever. So I think that's going to continue, but that's a big one. And then from the lending side, I think when you look at somebody like Rocket Mortgage, where they make it very, very easy to with no human interaction, get a pre-qualification. That has so many benefits, of course, because it's streamlined, it's it's really efficient. Mm-hmm. But some of the drawbacks are you can't take away from how complicated a mortgage is. Yeah. You can't reduce that too much because, yes, you can go in and plug in, what do I think my income is? What do I think my credit might be and all this stuff? And then you get a 
pre-approval letter printed out to you. Sure, that's great. But there are so many questions and, and the amount of times that I get somebody on the phone, they've already been pre-approved with whether it's a credit union or a bank or a large scale lender that is very automated. I'll get them on the phone and they're just relieved to just get to ask all of these questions and I can explain things more thoroughly and really dive yeah. into the nitty gritty where you can't get that at least right now from a 1-800 service or a an internet or yeah. a website rather. Yeah, I think for like the online generation, it's just so easy and streamlined, especially for how quick you can get some of those information, yeah. whether that's an insurance quote or, you know, getting a mortgage uh, quote, but... I think the biggest thing with that is, again, and why people gravitate towards that is when it comes to finances, and we run through this as an advisor, is a lot of people don't want you to know. Yeah. Is, and usually that's a telltale sign, too, that things aren't good. Yeah, something's like they, going they're, on. They're, they're, like they're not proud of whatever debt they've got or the way they spend their money. And so, oh, well, I just use this 800 number and I deal with somebody that's across the country. I don't even know who they are. Bingo. Where you meet with that mortgage loan officer that's right down the street. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit different. Right. But I do agree with you, especially as a first time home buyer or someone who's just hasn't been in the mortgage realm in a little while, like to be able to ask the questions, especially in the rate environment we are in. Yeah. It's really important to talk to somebody and and to see what ways that they can manipulate their mortgage to benefit right. them. Yeah, because I think in in no way is this a predatory mindset. But if you go in and you don't ask questions, you're not being thorough and looking out for your own best interest. You're not asking, how could I reduce my monthly payment? How mm -hmm. does this work and this work? The loan officer and the mortgage company is just going to take it at face value and say, okay, we'll do the most basic thing because this is just, they're not asking, they don't, they're not prying and trying to right. get any deeper. Whereas if you ask me what things could I do, I'm going to say, well, hey, I have some preferred homeowners insurance individuals that can get you a cheaper premium, or we can do this. We can talk about a reduced rate. We can talk about all those things to set you up for success. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it just oversimplifies a complicated process when it's just online and you're doing it from your phone. You yeah. need to get there talking to a professional because it's okay not to be a professional in the mortgage industry if you're not a professional in the mortgage right. industry. Like that's totally sure. okay. Yeah. Well, I think that will pretty much wrap it up for today. I can't thank you enough for coming on. But before we leave, yes. I'll ask you the same question oh, I yeah. ask all the guests who come on, especially now that you're a father. Mm -hmm. What is one piece of advice you would give another young family? Another young family. Doesn't have to be mortgage related. It can literally be anything. I am going to say now, I think the last time I was on, I said budget. That's so lame. It's true, but it's so <laughs> lame. And so that's, I'm not going to say budget again, though I do believe in a budget. But I would say prioritize family time. It's in my role specifically, in anybody's role, but in my job specifically, I could be working 24 7. Mm -hmm. My phone, texting, calling all the time. And so me prioritizing, putting it away and focusing on my family is so valuable. And something that I've told Kara since the day that I stepped into sales was if I get in too deep, you need to pull me out sort of yeah. a thing because you don't want the days to go by and the years to go by. And you look back and you said, oh dear, I missed all of those things with my kids or yeah. my wife. And that's the biggest thing for me is just realizing that I could make five bucks an hour and just have uh, some land and be happy as a clam. So yeah. just realizing that like family comes first is, is yeah. really the biggest Especially thing. Especially in those first couple of years, which you're in that they change so much in like literally a week. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second, you weren't doing that, you know, a couple of days ago. And like now you're doing it every day and 
and then just like they keep like progressing so quickly and it's like it just blows your mind yeah especially in that first year it's like they change they go from a baby who can't literally do anything to they're walking around you know getting into everything getting into all of it they've got teeth claire has two little baby teeth coming in on the bottom and it's just you're right and that's where like if i could just take i wish it was it seems like just the way that the world is structured it's in the time that you're a new parent is the time that you're working the hardest at work to set yourself up for retirement and all that stuff but i wish it was the opposite not that i want to work when i'm old but i wish i could take these years off and just hang out with my family all the time so that's my biggest piece of advice is just prioritize family prioritize the right things. If, if yeah. family is your thing, then great. That's great. Yep. Well, for those who want to maybe get a hold of you or especially if they're in the Atlanta area or if they want some kind of referral or something for the Michigan area, what are some ways that they can contact you? I would say the best way is text me or call me. My number is 269-425-0559. So it's still a Michigan number. I'm not mm-hmm. a sellout. And then I, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Kyle McGann underscore L-O. And that's my business and personal account. So yeah, just reach out. I'm always happy to help. Even if you're in Kansas or something where I can't actually directly lend to you, mm-hmm. I can help you figure out everything and set you up for success. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Kyle. Thanks Dude, for coming on. you're the man. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. This is awesome. Thank you. <laughs>